0: From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. By the way, join us, please, during the week, Fox Business News. Name of the show is Kudlow, 4 to 5 p.m., Monday through Friday. Now, we we'll do some money and politics. We have Liz Peek, Fox News contributor, Hill columnist, New York Sun columnist, too. I just saw that. Great article. And Steve Moore, Vice President of FreedomWorks and Committee to Unleash Prosperity. And a book with the unlikely title, Govzilla, How the Relentless Growth of Government is Devouring Our Economy and Our Freedom. All right. That there is 36 tax hikes, Mr. Moore. Nice going. Anyway, Liz, I want to tackle your article in The Sun um, about Biden is playing with fire. In a bid for the Hispanic vote, and you're ahead of the curve. This is a good story. Biden's rescinding Title 42, which was Trump's policy, essentially um, catch and deport based on concerns of COVID. I think that was the original genesis, but that is all ending in May, late May, a month from now, more or less, a little more than a month from now. And um, that's going to you figure that's going to open the floodgates. Is that right? And he's doing this to try to get the Hispanic vote, which, by the way, he's losing badly on in all the polls. So tell us about it, Liz Peake.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, you you, uh, sum up pretty well. Basically, Title 42, according to The New York Times last fall, uh, there were a million seven hundred thousand people who had been summarily expelled from the country, people who had crossed into the country illegally, they were expelled from the country under Title 42. And, of course, it's only gotten worse since then. So we're talking probably well north of two, two and a half million people who have been uh, turned around and sent home after they crossed the border under the guise that it was a health emergency. So Trump kind of pulled this rabbit out of a hat faced with, uh, you know, unceasing Amounts of people coming into the country illegally So, and and this was one of the things he did That really kind of um, quelled the influx Now, Biden has been under enormous pressure From activists on the left People involved with immigration activism To reverse this Title 42 uh, standing Because uh, they argue that the health emergency is over and anyway, it was sort of a semi-illegal way to kind of make sure all these people left the country. And he and and he resisted, to Biden's credit, uh, knowing that he is incredibly underwater on polling approval for his handling of immigration, and that Americans are appalled by the scenes of chaos at the southern border. Biden had resisted doing this, but now he has caved. And my contention is, and I think it's kind of uh, without a doubt true, that. Seeing his approval standing among Hispanics go down, he is very worried that this group will not turn up in the midterm elections. Uh, I will guarantee you, Larry, they're not going to turn up in the midterm elections because their number one issue is inflation. They are not happy uh, about what Biden and his Democrat colleagues have done in the way of massive spending, which has led to price increases across the board. Uh, And and the the evidence of this is not just polling, which shows Hispanics souring on the president uh, to an astonishing degree. Historically, Democrats have counted on about 70 percent of the Hispanic vote. And right now it's about 40, 45 percent saying they approve of Biden. But also in the Virginia election uh, and uh, some elections that took place in the fall down in Texas, Hispanics are definitely – uh, kind of thinking twice about their allegiance to the Democrat Party. So this is just like what Obama did in 2012 mm-hmm. when he faced re-election and Hispanics were uh, defecting in large numbers because he hadn't pushed for immigration reform. He pushed through DACA. This is Biden's DACA. Uh,
0: yeah, that's a great metaphor. And But, you know, Steve Moore, um, I think what we learned is that Hispanic voters don't like the crisis of illegal immigration and the lack of a clear border any more than anybody else. I mean, that's one yeah, right. reason why this thing's come back far. you We're know, right. Hispanic yeah. voters are just as law abiding as any other voter.
2: Very true. And you know, look, Hispanics don't like the, the word deportation. So it's a word that Republicans should avoid using, but, um, but, They are. Hispanics are not political. They're not ideological. They're pocketbook voters. Ah, (laughs) They care about their paycheck. They care about being able to send their kids to good schools and and that kind of thing. And that's why they you know, they've kind of wavered from one party to the other. There's no question um, that Liz is right, that they are trending more Republican because they don't care about issues like. You know, climate change and transgender issues, and all these wacko left wing um, <laughs> infatuations right now that are completely outside of the strike zone of what Hispanics want. They want jobs and they want higher incomes. And I'll tell you, you know, that the people who are really getting hammered by the Biden inflation, Larry, are um, are the Hispanic uh, kind of middle income working class voters.
0: Right. They get hurt the hardest. That's right. That's that new number. U.S. households face $5,200 inflation tax this year that came out of uh, Bloomberg Economics, I guess. But how about, uh, so Liz, how about Ukrainian immigrants? Can't we have a couple hundred thousand Ukrainian immigrants? They're all going to vote Republican anyway, but I bet you they'll boost the economy.
1: (laughs) Well, it is true. The the problem with, getting a lot of Ukrainians to come to the United States, as I understand it, is they hope to go home. They hope to go back <laughs> you know, to Ukraine. That's, that's they're right. actually like Ukraine. Uh, but, <laughs> that's
0: right. You know, you know, I think you're right. <laughs> so,
1: so, so Biden has said we'll take 100,000 people, which is really small gruel uh, for a, a country that now has lost, I think it's up now, 3.5 million people presumably have left Ukraine. And they're all squashing into the, the smaller countries around Ukraine, including Poland. Uh, and it's really difficult. But I, I think, honestly, we will, I would think, we would open our doors to uh, a lot of these people and should do because they're educated uh, and they're going to have to work hard and they will. And, uh, and, you know, my guess is that would be a pretty good, like like the Vietnamese who came after the Vietnam War, mm. they turned out to be model citizens, mm-hmm. very hardworking. And, and my guess is the Ukrainians would, I mean, I have no particular knowledge of their work ethic or whatever. But it seems like they're a pretty industrious uh, group. And yeah, we we need workers. You know, that is probably the number one thing that we continue to struggle for is to get more people working in this country.
0: Well, I think the Ukrainians are kicking some Russian butt right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what it looks like. We had Jack Keenan on before. I mean, they really they are really they want to counterattack. In fact, they're bombing Russian depots now. I don't know. It's a very cool story um, how things have changed. Steve Moore, um, you know, you sort of mentioned that in passing, the transgender stuff. What, Steve Moore, do you remember the days when corporate, publicly owned corporations were interested in a high rate of return, <laughs> making good profits? The good old days. And rewarding their investors and their shareholders? Are you old enough to remember those days?
2: Yeah, that was where they go. I mean, look, this ESG issue I think is also really becoming front and center because it's um, it's hurting the operations of American companies, and so this is basically these um, activist investor groups. They don't, they don't care about the return on on the investment. They don't care about the profits of the company. They'll they'll invest make small investments in companies like Exxon, and then they'll go to the board meetings and talk about how much they hate oil and gas. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. Well, if you hate oil and gas, why are you in? And th- so they're basically bringing this kind of social um, and environmental agenda to board meetings, and they're succeeding in some cases, and they're changing board members. Uh, they, as I said, they want to make uh, you know the oil and gas companies stop producing oil and gas, and it will it'll have very negative effects on um, shareholders and on pension. My, by the way, I, my take on this, Larry, because we're really starting to look at into this issue more closely, that uh, it's not that the, was a piece by the Arizona um, uh, attorney general in the Wall Street Journal. He, he had the story mostly right, but he didn't have it entirely right. He said he said he wants to bring an antitrust suit against these um of these ESG people that's not it's not antitrust mm. it is a it is a um it is a violation of the fiduciary duty yes. of these of these pension yes. funds and these investment funds to basically try to persuade these companies to engage in um economic uh, economic activity that's contrary to that is a that great point their politics.
0: steve moore yes. that is a brilliant point if you had a real sec OK, not just not just, a you know, a climate change uh, fatwa against fossils SEC, right. but a real SEC would look into that on exactly what you just said, fiduciary responsibility. Yep. That is a wonderful point. Liz, what do you think? You. I'm yeah, excited totally about agree. that point. I love that point.
1: I, I totally agree. And what's interesting is uh, if you kind of trace back the origins of this, a lot of the biggest pension funds like the teachers fund out in California were amongst the first to really push this uh, ESG initiative uh, and and sort of hobble corporations or uh, you know limit their investments in corporations according to things which have nothing to do with returns. Mm. So you could start right there, frankly, uh, Steve, and sort of say, yeah. these guys really abrogated their responsibility to the teachers of California mm. by putting that first. And I remember writing about this many years ago and showing that, in fact, the ESG – priorities did not work, that in fact, the returns were not as good as they were for the companies overall. And of course, in a period like right now, this has really happened because Mm. what's really doing well, energy companies, what is absolutely far down the list of ESG investors, energy companies. So it is, I think you're absolutely on the right track. And I agree with Larry. I think that's brilliant.
0: Yeah, that is really a good point. We got to work on that point. (laughs) Okay. The other point, speaking of energy, Liz Peek, were you at one point an energy analyst or something on I Wall was. Street or an energy banker? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. you're the perfect person to ask. What did you think of Biden's strategic petroleum reserve policy?
1: Huh? Well, I mean, really? look, uh, it's yeah, it's it's a desperate measure because he knows that uh, of all the political things happening badly for him right now, it is inflation and most most visibly the price of gasoline. That is uh, really costing him at the polls. Uh, interesting factoid on this, which I will inform you and your audience. I have been told I'm at a Works event, by the way, and one of the speakers yesterday said the polling in March for the president does not change between now and the midterm election. Mm. So we the polling is what it is. It's not going to get any better so I think that's kind of good news because it is horrible for Biden right now, no matter what he does. Um, but certainly, the the, as the strategic petroleum reserve drawdown is not going to have a long-term impact uh, on on uh, gas prices. It, it, we have a fundamental mismanagement or mis misalignment right now, supply and demand, and that's not going to change it except in the very near term. And by the yeah. way, it's not even really near term; it's not till May.
2: Yeah. No. But by that, the way, you guys yeah. are missing the whole point, though, because the high, higher gas prices, the fact that we're paying $5 or $6 a gallon gas, that's not going to negatively affect people because, according to the president, we're all going to have electric vehicles. <laughs> um, and so, you know, no, it really, this this was such a bizarre speech. It's almost like they drink their own kool Aid. They, you know, he kept saying, "Oh, we're, you're going to save eighty dollars a gallon." You know, I mean, uh, every time you fill up, because you're not going. You, everybody's going to have Tesla's. <laughs> you know, people do have seventy-five thousand dollars to go out and buy a Tesla yeah. right now. The uh, I, I think I've mentioned this to you before, Larry, on your TV show, but roughly three to four percent of the cars on the road today, three yeah. to four percent yeah. are electric vehicles. Yeah. So that if my math is right, that means 96 percent of us, Joe Biden, are still using <laughs> gasoline. So the idea that somehow, you know, you're going to have now, I do think he's got a good solution to the to the gas price. Uh, crisis for the year 2040, you know, but this yeah. is the year 2000, uh, you know, that they just seem so out of touch with reality. Let the me, other thing that he No, said, no, hang on, uh, hang on.
0: I've I got to take a quick break. I want to come back okay. to this because this is even more complicated, and I want to relate to you what Rick Perry told us last night uh, okay. on the TV show, but hang on. we got Liz Peake and Steve Moore, two of the best of the best, we're talking money politics. I'm Cudlow. A quick break, and then we're coming right back. Larry Kudlow. From Wall Street to the White House, this is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're here with Liz Peak, Fox News contributor, Hill columnist, New York Sun columnist, Steve Moore, Vice Freedom Works, Committee to Unleash Prosperity, Bob Zilla, and everything. Stephen, how are you feeling? You feeling better?
2: I am feeling better. Thank you, Larry. Yeah,
0: no, good. All good. Um, Look, I just want to relate on this Spro thing. First of all, the numbers don't work. I mean, he's going to do a million barrels a day sale from Spro. So that's over six months, 180 million. But when you look at the global picture, I mean, these are globally determined oil prices from which gasoline is then refined. Um, You know, you're 100, uh, 100 million barrels a day supply and demand. So... Over six months, that's 18 billion, 18 billion barrels per day. So he's going to increase 100 million with demand at 18 billion. I don't really think that's going to have any impact. I mean, Liz said it it, it probably would, would, would not have a major impact. I think that was an understatement. But here's the point I'll throw out both of you. This is what Rick Perry said last night. Remember, Spro is not here to, for what I call political price-fixing. Spro is an emergency reserve if you have, let's say, bombing in the Middle East, okay? Iran bombs all the Saudi oil wells or, you know, massive hurricanes in, in the oil patch in Texas, that kind of thing. And what Biden's doing is killing Spro, taking a third out of Spro, and, you know, we won't have it there for any emergency reasons, Liz Peak. And I think that's yeah. a very important point. The idea for SPRO was not to manipulate prices, it was you to know. protect us, right? If you have this, you know, very bad emergency, which could be a national security emergency.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, Larry, look, we could spend the rest of the afternoon talking about the incoherence of Biden's energy policy. Obviously, <laughs> this is not the way to fix a problem. We should be doing everything possible, including uh, adding incentives to oil gas companies to drill for oil. Instead, we're taking them away. And obviously, one of the other major problems is that Saudi Arabia and UAE, United Arab Emirates, have refused to increase production. Well, at the same time that we are begging them to do that and they are refusing to take Biden's phone calls, by the way— we're still pushing an Iran nuclear deal that they are violently opposed to. So none of it makes any sense. None of it is really going to help in the long term. And I think you really have to kind of just say there is no policy. The country is adrift on this. Certainly the Biden administration is adrift on this. And it's going to cost us a lot of money to fix it.
0: You know, Steve, the other thing that that Rick Perry said, um, we should be doing everything we can to incentivize fossil fuel drilling. All right, so you, have your, you, you could have 9,000 leases, but they won't give you a permit. So you can't drill and you can't pipeline. But Rick said U.S. liquefied natural gas is the cleanest in the world, much cleaner than Russia's, for example. But also suppose you had a policy of LNG exports to India and or China which would replace their dirty, dirty coal. So the Greenies should want to do LNG exports to India so that India would stop emitting dirty coal. I mean, that's a point I hadn't really thought about that. But I think Perry is right. I mean, the Greenies should want LNG drilling and
2: pipelining. I could never really understand the left's argument against natural gas. I mean, natural gas is a wonder fuel in every way. It is cheap. It's abundant. It's made in America. It's reliable. It's clean burning. I mean, it's everything that you want in in a a form of of energy, and it it is the single reason— The single biggest reason that the United States of America over the last five years has reduced our carbon emissions more than any other country, because we've been transitioning to clean. Let me say that again, clean, burning natural gas. Mm. And so uh, do you remember, by the way, when this was very funny about five or six years ago when Nancy Pelosi said, I'm, I'm against fossil fuels. I like things like natural gas. You didn't even know natural gas was (laughs) fossil fuels. I Um, do remember that. that. uh, uh, the, uh, The point is that natural gas is, if you care about climate change, absolutely, we should be producing more and more LNG. And the other point, I think I made this on your TV show the other day, but it's important. If you care about reducing greenhouse gas emissions, the single most important thing that would lead to dramatic reductions in emissions would be to move all coal production, all oil production, and all gas production, out of China, out of Russia, yeah, right. out of Saudi Arabia, right. and bring it to the United States. Right. Because our environmental standards and also our our coal and, and natural gas are so much cleaner than what they have. So when we reduce the output and production of oil and gas and coal here in the United States, it actually leads to more pollution.
0: You know, our greenies, we have the dumbest greenies. I yeah, mean, yeah. for example, <laughs> the German greenies are now accepting LNG. Yes. Okay? Our greenies are still running a fatwa against well, you know, fossil fuels.
1: Go ahead, Larry, you haven't even talked about nuclear. I mean, no, I know. And I love nuclear. Yeah. I mean, we that is, it, you know, even Obama agreed that it should be all of the above. All energy yes. sources should be pursued in a quest for haha, energy independence, which we actually achieved two years ago. Yeah. I mean, it is astonishing that we were so willing to give that back. We cannot do this again. Energy security is national security. uh, And, you know, we have to learn this apparently every 15 or 20 years. But the the reality has not changed. And by the way, our biggest arts rival, China, would kill to have the energy resources we have because they don't. That's a, no, no. It's all good points.
0: I mean, we have the stupidest greenies. That's the whole problem, and they all live in the White House. I mean, that I mean, and, they, guys, and they run do these. They know what the I number mean, one?
2: It, look it, at even what the Biden, one form of uh, of uh, renewable energy in America is today by far. I think it
0: could be nuclear,
2: hydro. hydro. Oh, hydro. Yeah, hydro. hydro! Forgot about hydro. hydro. Power is a great way to get electric power, and what? guess what? The Greens are against hydropower.
0: <laughs> oh, why? It, it's you know, about 20 percent I mean, is hydropower. Yeah,
2: we get a huge amount of that. You know, yeah. New York gets a lot of its electricity from uh, from uh, you know Niagara Falls. For goodness' sake. Yeah. Now, Liz, why would they be against hydropower? <laughs>
1: because you're probably you know interfering with the breeding cycle of some obscure fish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My
2: guess. But that's it's
0: that's Niagara Falls. Fall. I mean, there's yeah, no fish. I'm just saying. There's no I'm just fish saying, yeah. in Niagara Falls. Maybe there. Are. I don't know. So, I've hey, never yeah, swam. You know. I've never swam around Niagara Falls. No, but we have the dumbest greenies in the world. I mean, honestly, the European greenies are much smarter than our greenies. And Biden is completely incoherent. But, you know, Liz, uh, you're right. Everything Biden does is completely incoherent. This is utterly well, I, incoherent.
1: I think, I think it's really interesting because he's in trouble now. And the desperate sort of moves he's making, whether this this thing change at the border, yeah or this ridiculous uh, SPR thing, that's a a mistake. You guys
0: are great. Liz Peek and Steve Moore. Folks, I'm Larry Kudlow. Fox Business, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. Check us out. And I'll be back here on radio next Saturday.